The following podcast was recorded on Thursday, February 17th, 2022, featuring Sam Rines of Arbor Data Science. To hear the podcast in real time, you can sign up for a free trial at arborresearch.com or by emailing Gus Handler directly at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. You can also call Arbor Research and Trading at 1-800-606-1872. Thanks for your time and enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to the latest edition of Talking Data. I'm Kristen Radish with Arbor Research and Trading. I will be your host today. And our commentator is Sam Ryans of Arbor Data Science. Welcome, Sam. Hey. Today we wanna understand the likely path of inflation and consumers' expectations. And to do so, I think we need to look no further than the price of gasoline at the pump. Sam, oil is oil prices are approaching $100 a barrel. It's the highest it's been in more than seven years. What is the outlook for oil? Are we going to reach that $100 mark or higher? It's one of those questions where I think the $100 mark is likely to be tested at some point um, in 2022. Uh, I don't know that it's imminent. Uh, There's one of the interesting things that we saw earlier in the week is when it was rumored that a few tanks had been taken away from the Ukrainian border, you had a 5% drop in WTI and Brent prices almost instantaneously. Uh, So there's a significant amount of geopolitical uh, pressures in the oil market uh, that can abate and can move higher very, very quickly uh, without much warning. Uh, So I think there's a little bit of that uh, that's in the system and can come out pretty rapidly. So you may see $100 on, you know, Ukraine is invaded by Russia, uh, but you could also see $85 to $80 oil on Ukraine tensions, uh, call it not necessarily completely dissipating, but becoming much less of a threat of World War III. Uh, I think that's that's something to kind of keep in the back of our minds as we're contemplating the direction for oil is that there's a significant geopolitical premium uh, in there right now that continues to fluctuate prices pretty significantly on a day-to-day basis. Um, it, there's an interesting uh, chart, and I think this, is, this also goes to uh, some things to pay attention to, is that OPEC is likely to begin easing their policies um, of restricting uh, oil output on a quota basis and likely to raise those quotas uh, over the next, uh, call it three to 12 months at $92, $95 Brent, uh, it's pretty attractive to them, uh, right? They don't want it to get too high because that could cause demand destruction. Uh, they want to maintain their market share. Uh, so there's a likelihood that they're going to raise those quotas. And according to the U.S. Energy Information Agency, the EIA, there's quite a bit of spare capacity out there. Uh, I would tend to argue that it's probably... Uh, overbaked a little bit, that your pro- your spare capacity is probably closer to two and a half to two million barrels a day. Uh, we haven't seen OPEC cheating much, and typically when there's spare capacity, uh, OPEC likes to cheat, particularly at $90 a barrel plus. I mean, it, it's a significant, uh, call it upside to their uh, bottom line to cheat just a little bit, not a lot, but we haven't seen much cheating at all. Uh, I think that's a signal that maybe there isn't as much spare capacity within OPEC as is anticipated, um, particularly outside of Iran. And the, the next chart really, mm-hmm. I think, brings to the fore exactly how important Iran is to the oil market. Can you uh, walk us through these production levels? What should we be watching? 
Uh, the, one one curious point uh, is uh, we'll kind of start with Iraq. Uh, Iraq has actually been one of the call it uh, most at risk yet unrisked uh, oil producers uh, that we've seen. Uh, Iraq has actually pumped quite a bit of oil and they've done it at a pretty steady clip. Uh, obviously, COVID was a problem for them. Um, you know, there's been some trans leadership transitions that weren't necessarily. Uh, smooth, uh, but you have seen them continue to you know, pump quite a bit of oil, particularly relative uh, to the 2005 level. So I think that's a, that's a pretty interesting uh, place to look in terms of where exactly um, the oil market's going to be. There's probably another 500,000 barrels that they can put out uh, without much issue there, uh, particularly as the quotas are raised. Uh, the other thing to really pay attention to here is the 2015 to 2016 timeframe uh, when Iran got pretty close to actually producing as much oil as it had in 2005, uh, call it pre-sanction-ish, pre-tight sanction uh, markets uh, after the JCPOA uh, was signed, the Iran deal uh, was signed. Uh, they were allowed to put oil back on the market and they put it back on and they put it back on fairly rapidly. Uh, you can see as we moved into an era where you know, we've reinstituted those sanctions against them, that again, they pulled about 2 million barrels off the market relative to uh, the 2005 level. That is a big deal for an oil market um, that could be tight as we move forward. Uh, it's likely to a degree, and I think this is one of the most interesting points, it's likely to a degree that we will see some reduction in sanctions over the next few months as uh, call it renegotiations of uh, GC, uh, J JCPOA um, emerge. Uh, that is an incredibly important aspect uh, to the oil market. That's 2 million barrels of incremental production, give or take. It might only be a million and a half of incremental production that can come back online, but it's also a significant amount of stored oil that will hit the market. Uh, it would be a little bit like a small or a medium-sized SPR release on top of a continuation in production going forward. So it's a big deal for an oil market that's searching for incremental production, particularly as we begin to reopen uh, the US and global economy. And I wanted to get into next really demand. Um, when you think of where we're at right now with a lot of the world has not reopened, we are not back to pre-pandemic levels. Can, what should we know about demand and supply? Well, what's interesting is we were at peak U.S. oil demand going when pre-COVID, right? So we're back to levels in the 2018, 20, even call it 2019 type uh, time frame. There's, there's quite a bit of oil demand there. Uh, there's this notion uh, that's been batted around that you've seen permanent destruction of oil demand and we're past the U.S. peak. I, I just, I, I, I struggle to see that, particularly when we haven't seen business travel return in any meaningful way. Um, we've seen RVs fly off the shelf. It was one of the best uh, performing sectors uh, during COVID and those guzzle uh, diesel. So it's, it's difficult for me to see that you're going to have some sort of permanent demand destruction here uh, and not make it back to at least very close to pre-COVID levels in the medium term, uh, particularly as economy, the US economy completely reopens as you begin to see the return of business travel. Uh, aviation fuel is a big deal. Um, as you begin to see supply chains normalize, it's going to be, uh, at least in my opinion, 
a world where we at least challenge the pre-COVID levels of demand for oil. And speaking of the supply chain, we've seen some modest improvements, um, but a big focus has been on the trucker protests. And as, as we've titled, I know your post this week on oil and truckers, um, can you walk us through the correlation? Yeah, sure. So one of the, one of the best, this, and uh, credit to the data science team here, this is one of the most fascinating charts to me. It was, a, it was actually showing a pretty steady improvement in the overall supply chain metrics. Uh, but then all of a sudden you toss on uh, truckers, which is the purple in this, and all of a sudden that just went very high, very quickly. And we know that that was protests. Uh, we know that that was the, particularly the Canadian uh, trucker protests, uh, the convoys, et cetera. Uh, but overall the supply chains were actually improving uh, pretty nicely. Uh, what's interesting, I think, is not necessarily the first or the first derivative of the truckers, which is that you had to throttle down auto production in the U.S. because supply chains were further, uh, uh, call it damaged and delayed. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of the obvious part. But the secondary part is what exactly they were protesting, which is they wanted a much more open economy and fewer restrictions. Uh, that's that's not just a Canadian. Thing. That is a global uh, thing. We've seen uh, protests in France. We've seen protests in Australia. Um, the global economy is likely to continue to move towards being reopened. I think that's, that's kind of the key part of the convoy um, that I take away, uh, is that truckers are, call it the most visible signal uh, that the world wants to reopen. And most, you know, most of the world isn't. And I think that's the other part is that if you call Europe 50% open and China really not that open due to its COVID zero policy, that's an awful lot of the incremental GDP and, and supply side production uh, that's somewhat tapered at, at the least. Uh, as those economies begin to reopen, you're going to see two things. You're going to see higher demand for oil globally. Uh, that's going to reemerge and pick up again as people begin to shift around. And it's going to potentially be a significant boost to business travel. Uh, you know, it's, it's very difficult to do in a business deal if you're trying to get in and out of Europe or trying to get in and out of Asia. You're simply not going to do it. You're going to do it by Zoom or you're going to do it by a, a video generally. Uh, so I think that's really the key here is that yeah, it you know the truckers disrupted supply chains. We know that, but they didn't do that much damage. They didn't, supply chains were already in trouble. Um, what they really did was bring to the forefront uh, a movement that said we need to re you know we want the economy reopen, reopen the economy, restrict us less. Uh, that's going to become more of a global thing as we move through 2022, and that's going to increase the demand for oil and be a potential tailwind. So while you have the headwinds to oil price from uh, JCPOA, you also have tailwinds. So I think it's going to be a push-pull, uh, probably a volatile market uh, with price spikes, price declines, geopolitics playing a role, et cetera. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun oil market. Well, we'll continue to watch. Thank you so much, Sam, for joining us today. Thank you for your comments. And thank you to the audience for joining us. As a reminder, Arbor Research and Trading is an institutional research and brokerage firm. Our two most prominent offerings are Bianca Research and Arbor Data Science. For further information or any questions, please contact Gus Handler at gus.handler at arborresearch.com.